0: Hello, Doug.
1: Hello, Karen, and happy pre-Christmas.
0: Happy almost Christmas.
1: And to those listening, depending on when you're listening, happy pre-Christmas or Christmas or Boxing
0: Day or whatever. Solstice. Happy Solstice. We just happy have Solstice stuff, right? Um, so we're on Hollywood Boulevard, and um, we're going to talk about some stuff.
1: Yeah, we're really—it's like a big excavation of the past. I think on on this episode, based on what I I know we're talking about at least.
0: Oh, I think that you might be right. This could be. You a big think I might be right? I think you well, might be it. right. Where do we begin? Should we start with Cobra Kai?
1: Oh well, like, why not?
0: Okay, so you have not watched this yet, right? I have not. I am like, not sure why I haven't watched it yet. It's, it's got two seasons out on Netflix, a third coming, I guess, in January, the third season is dropping. I
1: knew, Yeah, I knew it was next year. I didn't know if it was that soon.
0: And it was, it was one of those shows where I was like, oh, that sounds kind of okay. Like, I might want to watch that. And then today, we were like, you know, after dinner, oh, do you want to watch something, you know, before the podcast? And, you know, we're all like, nobody knew what to watch and i was like well you know i said to my daughter did you watch the karate kid when you were little and she was like yeah and i was like why don't we try cobra kai and everyone was like okay y'all this show is a friggin hoot it how much did you
1: guys get to watch
0: i got through we're three episodes in um it is everything a re like a reboot needs to be um, it is a little bit, it kind of pokes fun at it, at itself a little bit, but it also has heart. Um, it doesn't ignore the past. It sort of like leans into the past, like, which is obviously the Karate Kid movie leans heavily. They actually have like these sort of memory sequences where they actually show bits of the movie, um, of the original movie. Oh, it was because in the movie, that's what it was, Elizabeth Shue. Is
1: the
0: Oh the Shoe family tie-in. The shoe family tie-in. That's what it was, because I was, that was I was thinking of Cobra Kai, I wasn't thinking of Karate Kid. Um so so there are scenes with Elizabeth Shoe. She has not showed up in the series yet. I don't know if she will, but her presence is definitely felt. Um and so basically it's uh it's the story of uh Johnny and um Daniel, who are were the the sort of rivals in Karate Kid as adults. And so needless to say, Johnny is kind of like bless his heart, a bit of a loser. Um, he lives, you know, in a shit efficiency apartment. I think they're still in the Valley. Um, or I'm not sure if it was the Valley, but you know, somewhere outside of just outside of Los Angeles. Um, he's still driving his Trans Am, which is hilarious. Um, and, but Daniel has become the owner of a bunch or one of a successful car dealership. And so Daniel is kind of haunting Johnny with TV commercials and billboards and stuff like that. So it's like Johnny's life continues to crumble. His work is a he loses his job as like a handyman and. You know, and like he's broke and he's, you know, the guy that wakes up in the morning and drinks an old beer because he's right. so hungover. You know, he's just like really kind of sad and pathetic. And um, and but he he ends up like you like you really do feel very sorry for him. And he ends up protecting this kid who is his neighbor um, from these high school bullies. Um, and that sort of sparks an interest in him to reopen the karate studio, um, Cobra Kai. Um, and so meanwhile back, you know, with Daniel, he has a wife, he's got kids, he's very well off, he's very wealthy and, um, but something happens between him and and Daniel where they just start crossing paths. It has to do mm-hmm. with Daniel's teenage daughter and the kids that she's running, like she's friends with, are wealthy, but they're not great kids. They're the they're the kids that picked on um, the neighbor outside of this mini mart that that Johnny defends. Um, they were te- a girlfriend of hers was texting and driving and hits Johnny's car um you know when it was parked so there were all these sort of crossovers where you see that Johnny and Daniel are going to be in each other's lives um but it, and you you hope that it's ultimately going to be for the better ultimately i i don't know cuz i'm only 3 episodes in but so it's right. sort of like Johnny's trying to rebuild his his studio his karate studio and his glory days um and uh and not be a loser anymore, but he's also going about it kind of, it's like it's like he's going about it the wrong way, the Cobra Kai way, which we learned was the wrong way, but then the Mr. Miyagi sort of thing that goes on with Daniel hasn't really been working in his life. So it's mm. sort of like how these two extremes are not necessarily like, like they, these two need to meet somewhere in the middle to have some sort of, uh, you know, successful lives. And so it's kind of curious to see, are they really ever going to meet in the middle and what's going to happen and what's going to happen with these kids, you know, the next generation. Anyway, I thought it was so funny and so well done. And I love the nods to it's, you know, eighties past, like it doesn't, it doesn't just reject it completely. It doesn't try and rewrite history, Hello Melrose Place. Um, it just <laughs> accepts what that was for that, for that movie that in that moment in time and sort of like appreciates it and loves it for that and doesn't try and change it and just kind of expands on the story as a kind of where are they now series. And I right. think it works really, really well.
1: How funny is it? Very funny. Is there, are there like touches? Oh, okay.
0: Very funny. I mean, most of it is coming at at the sort of nostalgic, you know, expense. Like, I don't know that if you haven't seen Karate Kid, you're going to find it as funny as I did, for example. But there are a lot of 80s references. The music was soundtrack is pulled right out of the 80s, which is kind of like, you know, great fun to kind of listen to. Um, You know, so I do think that it, it leans heavily on nostalgia, particularly for the humor but again, it, like, it works. It really works. I'm and glad to
1: hear it. At some point, we w- I, I would like to watch it. And I know some of the things that do happen, just stuff <laughs> that I guess has been spoiled um, as the run of the show, the first two seasons, continues. Um, and it all sounds like stuff that I'm really going to dig.
0: Yeah, I think so. And I sp- did you like Karate Kid? Was it sort of part of your childhood?
1: I did. I did. Yeah, I liked it a lot. And, and the sequel even, too.
0: Now, did, now were you, were you old enough where you were able to see it in the theaters? Or was it something that you caught up with on VHS or on TV or something?
1: I watched them on cable. You watched them I on cable. I was probably too young to see the first two in the theater. The third one, by the time that came out, I could have. I just didn't. And, I, you know, no one else did either. I also did avoid the, the next Karate Kid with Hilary Swank. But oh, the yes. real one. But the real one. And I think that first sequel are really good.
0: Yeah, I watched. Um, yeah, I watched the Karate Kid um, in the theaters. So you know, it was sort of that was definitely like a big part of my childhood. And you know, and Ralph Macchio. I think when he did Karate Kid, he had just come off of The Outsiders.
1: Yeah, I think one followed the other,
0: or or somewhat close. I think that the they the were Outsiders both like eighty three, eighty four. Yeah, yeah, and The Outsiders was first because I remember that sort of turned him into like this heart, like kind of a un, uh, you know unlikely heartthrob um which then followed up continued um with uh with Karate Kid he's had an interesting career
1: yeah but he's definitely a survivor
0: yeah same with William Zabka because I was sort of looking at this going well where did these guys go all these years and I mean obviously they're still acting you know, but yeah,
1: and William Zabka actually produced a short film and got an Oscar nomination like 15 years ago. He didn't win, and I remember being really disappointed at the time that he couldn't get up there uh, and give a speech because that would have been awesome.
0: I did not know that. It's uh, true. Yeah,
1: let me look up the name and to prove that I'm not a liar.
0: No, but, uh... <laughs> no I don't believe that you're lying, but I didn't realize that Ralph Macchio was also like working as much as he was for, you know uh you know for for a i just didn't realize he was working as much as he was like a regular part you know regular role in ugly betty like he's just been working yeah you know?
1: yeah and um i've seen him in a few things on stage here too and i've even been at a couple like random like small film open, opening like release parties that he's been at um and he's
0: always been very nice okay yeah, I don't doubt that. But, yeah, so it's kind of fun seeing these guys, um, you know. And I, I really do hope Elizabeth Shue shows up, but I don't know that she will. Uh,
1: yeah, I I hope she does, too. My guess is that she probably won't.
0: <laughs>
1: probably not. <laughs> yeah, in 2004, uh, William Zabka was nominated for Best Live Action Short Film at the Oscars for uh, a short film called Most.
0: Oh, how f- oh, how! F- Fabulous, good for him. Yeah, I know nothing about him, like, I don't know what his background is apart from like karate kid, you know.
1: I mean, I just assumed he was like a Southern California guy who got into movies as a teen. Um, but he's actually from New York,
0: yeah. I'm, I'm seeing that now. He is actually from New York, which is kind of interesting, but there really isn't much, um, much more about him on here so no
1: i mean to me like he starting like a trifecta of kind of iconic 80s movies as the bad guy because there's the karate kid he's also the bad guy in just one of the guys which is one of my favorite movies
0: from growing up i did not um, see that one i don't even know what that is
1: oh okay so that is about a, a woman who is a journalist she's a high school senior and her parents are out of town for like Months. We never see them. She doesn't get the local internship at the town newspaper. And her journalism professor makes it seem like it's just because she's a woman. Okay. So she cuts her hair and transfers to the other high school in town where she pre- where she registers as a guy. And it makes everyone think that she is a male student. And hijinks and misunderstandings ensue. Wow. I mean, it's very 80s in like the best possible way. <laughs> um, and uh, and so William Zabka plays he's kind of like the prom king guy, um, but he's also a bully. And of course his his girlfriend falls in love with the guy who's really a girl, not knowing he's really a girl. Gotcha. Um, meanwhile the girl posing as a guy falls in love with another guy. Who doesn't realize she's really a girl like all of the things you would predict to happen like happen and it's but it's like just so 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 great um i'm pretty sure i have this on vhs and dvd um uh-huh. so he's a bully in that and he's also in back to school the rodney dangerfield one where he goes back to college he's also oh. like the bad guy in that
0: oh how funny i had no idea and i think i watched so I
1: back from to all of those at the same time
0: oh how funny and
1: my guess is he's actually probably a nice guy in real life.
0: That's probably my guess too. Usually yeah. they are. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I just have to say it was definitely a delight to um, to to catch up with this, and um, and it feels like the kind of show we need right now, frankly.
1: Oh, I totally believe that. That kind of nostalgic comfort food, but with a knowing sensibility, is my yeah. guess. Um, yeah. Sounds like, it. yeah. I mean, it's definitely a show I want to see. It's just, there's so many.
0: Yeah, I know. But, you know, I would, I would move that towards the top of the list.
1: My lady and I will have a discussion. I will let there. you
0: know. Okay.
1: Uh, so, but, so that's kind of, pretty much a reboot. But I know that there was news of another upcoming reboot that you had some oh, thoughts
0: on. God. Okay. True Blood. And we meant to talk about this last week. Apparently, True Blood is getting a reboot, and it is going to be, I guess, headed up by um, Riverdale, cre- writer, creator, writer, uh, Robert Aguirre-Sarcasa. Um, I don't know how I feel about this. I I don't, I don't understand why we're rebooting True Blood. It's only been off the air for six years. Um it feels like hashtag too soon.
1: Uh, Do we know in this reboot who actually returns versus like what new vampires become central?
0: We do not. Apparently it's just in very early stages of development. I mean, like look, the thing is Charlene Harris, like the writer. Of the Sookie house novels. novels. Like people were tweeting at her and she like basically tweeted back, this is the first I've heard about this. And apparently with Anna Paquin, it was the same thing. So, I mean, oh. I don't know if they're even going to go back to the original cast. It might be something... Sounds like they really different. just
1: want a new vampire show with the True Blood branding to me.
0: Yeah. And I actually, though, when I saw that Charlene Harris was like, this is the first I've heard of it, too. I was like, that's really shitty. This is yeah. her world. This is," And I know that she signed the rights over to HBO. Um, I'm sure... I don't know... I mean, usually options are only seven years, so that she, I don't know if she ga- re-signed. Like, who the hell knows how how these things work? Maybe she signed it in per- perpetuity, in which case she needs a new agent. Um, but, but to not go to the creator, this is her world, this is her characters, and say, hey we're working with this person and i mean not that she needs to have veto power or whatever although that would be nice you know it it, it is her work but at the very least like give her a heads up you know what i mean like i thought that was in very poor taste and then the other part of it too is again do we really need a true blood reboot like first of all i thought the first was an absolute delight um, I never finished the series. I think I have like maybe one or one and a half more seasons to go, partly because it really did kind of go off the rails when it sort of like di- like yeah. delved into fairy world. Like I think that Charlene ended up putting an awful lot in those books that work better in the books because that unfolds much slower. So I do think, and I was reading some, um, you know, online articles about how there is a lot more to mine in the story and, um, So, but I don't know that the stuff that there is left to mine in the story is as sexy, especially to HBO, as the vampire stuff. Right. You know, and, you know, HBO is not necessarily going to be interested in, like, stuff taking place in fairy, because I don't know that that you know the the fairy realm is is all that sexy or you know n- definitely not as sexy as the blood and gore and violence and also yeah. you know and also seductiveness of of a vampire or a werewolf for that matter so i'm not quite sure how they're going to handle it and it doesn't feel necessary it really doesn't feel no, like it doesn't certainly
1: said, does not feel necessary
0: you yeah. know if they had said we're going to reboot um um, 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 uh, uh, interview with the Vampire, if we were going to reboot Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles into an HBO series, that would make more sense to me than rebooting True Blood. Yeah. Because if anything is ripe for, you know, a reimagining, I think it would be the Vampire Chronicles.
1: Yeah, I, I, uh, I actually would be very much interested in that now that you have thrown it out there.
0: I actually would be too. God, somebody somebody do this and hire me to write it. Um because I think that that would be amazing because like we've we haven't had anything since like Queen of the Damned, right?
1: As far as I can remember, yeah, and that's And even like, that was terrible.
0: To, yeah. I couldn't even watch it. I just yeah, it was, it was bad. awful. Um an interview with the vampire was phenomenal and then there's I think another book in there, um Memnock the Devil? Yep. If I remember correctly, that's yep. part of this and it that, that was has, I don't think that's ever been um given a film treatment. I don't think it's
1: been adapted, no.
0: You know, in which case, like, there's a trilogy right there that I think would be phenomenal on screen to reimagine it.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I would love to actually revisit that universe. But, the, I mean, the True Blood world is done uh, as far as, as I'm concerned. I think... Um, I think the series was seven seasons. I probably watched four of them, maybe five, and then I finally stopped. But then I picked it back up for the final season, which I actually liked a lot of what they did there, and I thought some of the performances were terrific during that time. But if you can't bring back that gang, and you know, like, and you're starting essentially from scratch just with that True Blood branding, like, then it's just gonna be like some. Vampire fiction hokum, as far as yeah,
0: I can what, tell. what story is left to tell, like that's the thing. There that I, some, can't there, I,
1: I really feel like those stories came to a conclusion, so
0: yeah,
1: to revisit them feels like a cheat. Um, and to bring just new characters into the world just feels like another world. So, you know, and there,
0: are, there are also, I'm sorry, there are so many vampire books out there. Um, or if they're not interested in vampire and they want to dive into the witchcraft or the shifter or Mm, what have you, there are so many books out there in the world to adapt. Like, why does it have to be true blood? You know, even if it's not Anne Rice, like find another, you know, find another, Uh, find something else. You know, I mean, I think vampires might be having a renaissance. Um, that's actually what I'm kind of, I heard a couple of years ago, um, that, sparked some more interest in my book that has since also disappeared. Uh, <laughs> but I do know um Kim Harrison who writes uh the Rachel Morgan series, um, which is a vampire demon hunter witch. Uh, demon series it it, it's a really it's a really sort of fun series urban fantasy series she finally got a tv deal um and all i know is that the option has happened they're they're working on like casting and and all of that now um so i don't know i i'm guessing it's gonna have to go through pilot and all of that you know these things take forever but it seems like there's a resurgence of interest in this sort of like supernatural vampire-y world which is great I'm all for it but why do you want to take true blood and do that again when there are so many properties out there that you could actually take um, you know like sort of clean slate you know just just do something new
1: yeah and uh, you know kind of to that point I don't know a lot of people that are clamoring for a return of true blood
0: Yeah, it's it really seemed out of left field because I don't think anybody was sort of walking around going, God, they should really bring back being oh true blood. They should bring that. Oh,
1: I missed that series so much. No, I've not heard any of it.
0: Yeah, there hasn't been a peep. And that's not to say, I mean, it was definitely a beloved series, but it, it doesn't it just doesn't make any sense to bring it back again. It's been too it hasn't been long enough. You right. know, I, I mean, why would you reboot something that hasn't even been off the air for six years, Yeah, it's
1: you know, basically ended yesterday?
0: Yeah, I mean, it just I it was really, really surprising to me that um, that they, they want to do it again. I mean, unless I don't know. And would this
1: come you... back to HBO or would this yeah. be for like a streaming platform?
0: Well, it says it's in development for each with HBO. Okay. Um, but I mean, I guess they could always sell it if they don't want to actually air it. You know, they could sell it to a streaming network, I suppose.
1: Yeah, but it probably is for HBO, and and that would sort of affect the design. If it was to be a weekly show again, as opposed to something bingeable, that would affect probably right. how they structure it.
0: Because I could see, like, okay, I could see if they wanted to bring back True Blood doing it almost like a Gilmore Girls thing, where they did, mm-hmm. you know, like a four series. A limited
1: revisit, yeah. Yeah,
0: a very limited thing. But I, again, like, I don't even see that in for True Blood, frankly. I really don't.
1: Yeah. Well... Well, I guess we shall see.
0: I guess so. Anyway, so I just wanted to sort of get that out because I saw that and I was like, what? And then I saw that Charlene Harris had no idea and I thought that was rude.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's terrible.
0: Yeah, I really did. I thought that was rude. At least tell, tell the woman. Tell the woman. Yeah. So what have you got going on?
1: So still watching lots of holiday movies, toggling back and forth between the hallmarks and the old Hollywood classics. Um But also taking a visit again to Netflix for another awards beta from this year. This one is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. um, An adaptation of August Wilson's show with Viola Davis and the late Chadwick Boseman, among others. Um, And it's okay. Okay. I mean, I'm actually being both vague and kind because this movie comes in with a lot of fanfare and expectation and a lot of it ties into just sort of where we are culturally in the moment of, of this year. Um, August Wilson has a 10 place. He has passed away, but he just about had completed a 10 place cycle about the, black experience in America. Each of the 10 plays took place in a different decade of the 20th century. This one takes place during the 1920s, was first performed on Broadway in in the mid 80s. And the play itself is one of my preferred entries into that cycle. Um, And and so it's not really about Ma Rainey, who was this very important, influential, powerful black singer. From the 1920s it's also about um the fictional characters that august wilson created um that are playing at this recording session with her which is where the action of the play is set and on stage and even as written in play form it's not a musical it is a play with a lot of musical moments and those musical moments definitely energize um the action and the rising tension Mm-hmm. of the show and the show is about 240 two hours and 45 minutes maybe the movie is just over 90 minutes it's significantly shortened oh wow and some of the moments are reordered um including the musical moments and i think to the, sh- to the movie's detriment um because it it takes away like the kinetic feel which is i think the most significant part of the play and what really distinguished it back in the day. What this movie adaptation focuses on is, um, and, and not the Ma Rainey character who was played by Viola Davis, as much as the other session musicians who are more talk than play now. Um, and a lot of what they, they talk about, are they relaying um, various aspects of their life, their upbringing, the cruelty of the known Black experience as it is, which are important stories to know. But they are ultimately not dramatically compelling. And I know many will disagree with me. It's a rough road to hoe to try and have these conversations now. They are they are rather sanctimonious and out of character, the way they are delivered. They're too speechy. and And the play as I have seen it done, is not that. Um, it it actually feels very inorganic. And a lot of people want to see awards come the way of the film. They want Viola Davis to win another Oscar. They want Chadwick Boseman to get an Oscar that he never received in life. Um, and they're reading a lot of social and cultural import to the play that, yes, the Black experience and the cruelty therein should be known, should should inform works, but it's not nearly as artful as its source material. Um, and to me that's a big uh, that's a big deficit. The performances themselves by the leads are very presentational, which is something that 25, 30, 40 years ago both critics and audiences would have picked up on and been dismissive of. They were of many, many other films during that time. And we're sort of in a a, a new moment where we're not looking at things based on content, but context. And so I think a lot of people are appreciating it, but doing so for the wrong reasons. Especially, I think, with Viola Davis, who is... I mean, I almost don't know what she's doing, except it does feel like a very sort of Viola Davis thing, which... She didn't always do, but I think she's learned some wrong lessons as her film career has skyrocketed. Um, and it's almost distracting. I really wish the mm-hmm. character had been portrayed by someone who um, who is a larger actress, because Ma Rainey was a larger woman. And um, Viola Davis gained some weight, but she's also padded. And it looks kind of caricature the way the way she looks. Um, and the way she declaims a lot of her dialogue actually feels very 21st century. It doesn't feel period, um, which is a problem. I also think, because I mentioned this last week with The Prom, I think Netflix itself might have a problem with the sound mixing on its films, because, again, the sound is terrible uh, with this movie. Um, So, I don't know. It's tricky because I don't say any of this in social media, I don't say any of this with my friends when they say, "Oh, I've just seen this movie and I think they're so amazing." I just sort of say, "Yes, that was a movie I've seen." Like that. <laughs> that's that's sort of it. It's really tricky um, because, objectively, I I think it's kind of a a deeply flawed movie. But subjectively, it's well now is the time to be an ally and not say anything too critical. So here's the one time I've I've ventured a bit further based on what I've seen in the last year, and there you are. But I can say, the supporting performers, I think, do a much more elegant and eloquent job in their roles, including uh, Glenn Turman, Michael Potts, and especially Coleman Domingo. So
0: there is mm. that. I mean, I, had he- I, I heard Viola's performance was incredible. Um, and I heard that from people who are, like, just not, are, like, just regular old people objective (laughs) they are not you know not critics not you know not whatever like just regular old people (laughs) so (laughs) but I heard that her performance was spectacular so I I don't I haven't seen it um it's like on one of my like on my oh I should see that list um that I will hopefully one day get to um Mm -hmm. because I love Viola and I do love Chadwick uh Bozeman I don't know Maureenie as well as I should and so. That's why
1: I'm glad that this has gotten the film treatment. I think the goal Denzel Washington is producing this and and wants to produce and or direct, maybe star in some of the entire ten. I would say Marani for me as a play has always been in my top three. Um, so so I'm glad that more people now know of it. There was a revival on Broadway almost 20 years ago with Whoopi Goldberg. That, that
0: 20 years ago? Oh.
1: Almost. Yeah, it was right around the time I had moved here, so I 18.
0: And was uh, that the, and it was was that like the last time it was on Broadway?
1: Uh huh. Yes.
0: Oh wow.
1: Yeah.
0: I feel like to me it feels like it was just on Broadway yesterday.
1: No, though August Wilson hasn't been unrepresented. Uh, no, Ma Rainey has. Yeah, not no,
0: but with Ma Rainey, now. I feel like it has been. But I mean, you know, I, I I'm just old, I guess. Like the years
1: know. blend together, don't
0: they? They do. They do. Yeah. And I didn't realize <laughs> Whoopi was in that.
1: She was, and it really was. Um, you know, it got mixed reviews. Was kind of dismissed, um, and just other film, other films, other uh, shows had the momentum that season. Um, the fact that it didn't really run longer or attract more of an audience was sort of like a non-factor. Um, interestingly, Charles S. Dutton, who was in the original Broadway run, came back for the revival too. Um, but, but yeah, the. The show sort of came and went, you know, Fences is probably August Wilson's most famous. Um, and The Piano Lesson is better known. And uh, Jitney had mm-hmm. a very successful revival on Broadway though it originated off Broadway. It's moved to Broadway as a revival was its first time on Broadway. Those are probably among the bigger success stories in uh, in that that group of 10 August Wilson plays. Um, but yeah, Ma Rainey sort of fell to the bottom. And now I'm happy that it gets some more attention.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm going to watch it, you know, again, partly because I love Viola, partly because and Chadwick, but also because I should, because I've never seen it. I don't think I've ever seen it. Um, I definitely did not see it on Broadway. I'm trying to remember if at one point I saw it um, regionally, but I don't think I elsewhere. did. Yeah, I don't think I did. So, yeah. yeah. No,
1: it's worth knowing. Um, yeah, I don't. I honestly don't know if this adaptation gives you the full experience of knowing what the story was in the uh, in the play. But it's better than nothing. Not it's it at better
0: all. than nothing. That's it, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's better than not having any experience with it at all. And hey, maybe if this is a success, it will spurn you know, new productions if we ever get back into the theater.
1: I'd like to think so.
0: For it's sure. A big if at this point
1: i know it's a <laughs> the the ever longer question yeah. yes
0: yes so,
1: and then i have a totally different thing to talk about
0: mm.
1: which is um mariah carey fatigue um okay i've
0: got like i funny mariah like carey i moments.
1: don't i i neither love and worship her nor dislike her I have liked some of her pop songs from the '90s, and not liked some of them. And I love the Christmas song, but I don't live for her Christmas song. And all of a sudden, she's sort <laughs> of been anointed as like the queen of Christmas. And um, I um, uh, I just have so much patience—only so much patience for this. Place.
0: Well, okay. First of all, okay. You know that um, I don't know that sort of like skater brand. I don't know if they're skater brand. The like Supreme. Have you heard of the Supreme sweatshirts and Supreme clothing brand? I guess. I I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. That, like, sort of like this with the streetwear, I guess. Um, Exactly what it is. Yeah. This, this the streetwear brand. Well, okay. Um, So, uh, my, 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 my family is a little obsessed with Supreme and they're constantly like, D- doing the supreme auctions when new items get released you know specifically for shoes um but anyway supreme just released a special edition supreme chucky doll <laughs> and, it- <laughs> and my husband won it so at auction so this chucky doll <laughs> arrives at our house and Supreme will throw some swag in, you know, like stickers and stuff like that. And there was like some postcard of Mariah Carey that she signed saying Merry Christmas. Oh,
1: lucky you guys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it's seriously like Mariah Carey from like 20, 30, like 30 years ago, but it's fine. It's still Mariah Carey. And I was like, look, I was like, this is so random. And I don't know. Anthony said that she, they she did some sort of collaboration with them at some point, like recently. So I don't know if they just had like leftover shit. Um, that they're just like throwing in the boxes but I think it's so funny that you're like I want to talk about Mariah Carey because like we like seriously like yesterday I think the, the the doll came in and there was this like rando postcard signed by Mariah Carey telling us to have a happy holiday.
1: I think I and and us listeners should all get to see that photo but I only want to see that photo if it's next to your prized Chucky doll.
0: Oh, next to the Chucky doll. I will see if I can arrange that. I don't know where, um, I don't know where all that shit like, went hiding. But yes, so we have the Supreme Chucky doll um, and a signed uh, postcard from Mariah Carey. And also, I knew Mariah Carey's uh, personal assistant.
1: Uh, were there any war stories there?
0: So many. <laughs> so many. So many. Needless to say, this person went on to become a death doula. So that was better than being Mariah Carey's personal assistant.
1: (laughs) Wow, that took a turn.
0: (laughs) And, you know, um, anyway, she did say that, you know, uh, poor Mariah, that was sort of like the refrain, like, I guess Mariah's uh, pretty delicate.
1: Interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So those are my Mariah Carey stories.
1: Well, I just, um, yeah, yeah, I don't need her to be rediscovered and trotted out every December. I'm, I'm good.
0: I know, but you know, part of me feels kind of like bless her heart. You know what I mean? Like at least she, because what else is she doing?
1: Well, I mean, I think that's the thing. She, well, she did have a comeback album. That comeback album was fifteen years ago. I don't know that she has done anything else original that's really contributed to music since then
0: right um, so, i mean i mean look we need somebody to own christmas like who was it the last time that owned christmas who was the who was the who was the christmas owner before mariah There had there had to have been somebody
1: i mean i don't know was it darlene love i don't really know how far back this goes
0: i get but i mean who, well, else, I mean, who, would, who else owned love christmas style. yeah but who else owned christmas and so good for her if she can i mean was it michael Bublé? Or Josh oh, Mann. No. Or, like, who owns Christmas outside of Mariah? Like, who, like the Mariah Carey. Said, and Darlene Love is a really good example, I think.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, you know, like, because so many people have Christmas albums. But did Groban or Buble actually sort of, like, become the man of the moment for a while?
0: I don't feel like I've... Is Harry not,
1: Connick? I don't even know.
0: Oh, maybe Harry Connick. Maybe Harry Connick. It
1: still goes back a ways.
0: Yeah, but I mean, when you think about it, like we haven't really had that sort of. I mean, I mean, think about it, like Live Aid might have been the last <laughs> truly iconic. Yeah, I
1: mean, truly pop, yeah, you know, Christmas yeah.
0: pop moment, right? Would have been, uh, would have been Live Aid.
1: Yeah, I think that's right.
0: Because well, I can't think but, of anything
1: but, else. But I think the thing that really catapulted the Mariah Carey Christmas song was when it was in Love Actually. I think it was the combination of the two that became like wildfire.
0: You know, I've never, I still haven't seen Love Actually. It just does not appeal.
1: I don't think you would like it. I feel like I know you well enough to say that.
0: I think you're
1: And yet at some point it might be worth watching. Only because you like a lot of the people who are doing good stuff in it, I think
0: oh well here's the thing oh so I'm sorry um to jump to down memory lane a bit um Mm -hmm. I I would love to just give a quick plug to a book that I've been reading um that because it's kind of in the same vein because I brought up live aid and I was like holy shit Michael Angelo Matos, who is a music journalist, um, has a couple of books out, and I've just got two of them, and I've been reading one, and it's fascinating. It's called Can't Slow Down, How 1984 Became Pop's Blockbuster Year.
1: Oh, and it is.
0: (laughs) That's what he says.
1: I know. He beat me to it with the book. I'm sure he wrote a much better one than I could, but it is
0: fucking fascinating fucking fucking fascinating how one year turned like really turned the um turned the record industry around um it turned the uh the um the radio industry around i mean radio was struggling at the time um it, it, as were the the record labels um the, I mean the dip from like year over year from like 80 like from the 70s into the 80s the the dip was astounding for these labels I mean I know every few years they like the music industry yeah. and there was yeah
1: that was a moment of transition yeah yeah price panic but yeah. yeah
0: like the whole disco thing and then also like looking at it was called a, a I think it was AOR album oriented rock. Um, oh yes. know, Singles, uh, mostly yeah. a lot of albums, you know, and and radio play was uh, was tricky back then too. And then you sort of look at it, and and it was like this one moment, this one moment where pop and rock and and disco R and B like all kind of like merged and combined to create like this. Amazing year in rock. And you know, when you start going
1: because they were and because it wasn't like the one biggest thing. Right. It's like one biggest thing after the next biggest thing, followed by another biggest thing. Yeah.
0: And all of those biggest things would but it was sort of interesting because he traces it back to how all of these biggest things would have never happened without these the other things preceding it, like album oriented rock and disco. Right. And how um, and how rock music and disco combined um, in a really unique way, like what Michael Jackson did um, with Thriller and with uh, Billie Jean and Beat It and, you know, and how and how he infused uh, rock like guitar riffs into his into what was essentially R&B music, you know, um, because the Jackson 5 was considered Motown, right? Yes yes yeah and so and so i think
1: but motown yes
0: but motown and so the expectation when michael came around with his solo albums was that he was going to be in that sort of motown vein and he was but he also infused it with this real rock and roll sensibility um and then prince was very very similar because i mean and it's really amazing to sort of look back at this and go oh, my God, all of these artists hit at the same time. Michael Jackson, Madonna, Madonna. Prince. Like, you know, it, like and to sort of think that that all happened in one year. Yeah. It's really wild.
1: Yeah, yeah, and Lionel Richie, too. Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's also, you know, people are often like, well, they weren't the first to do any of these because there was always X, Y, Z, you know, Smokey Robinson or Marvin Gaye or... Uh, whoever but they were the first to find a way to pioneer in a way that married all of that edgier rock or r&b stuff with a stricter pop mass appeal sensibility at the same time and also still be good yeah so yeah
0: and the audience was primed for it that's the other and that's
1: the other other part yeah,
0: the the audience was prime for, for it. The, you know, we were sick of album oriented. We were sick of, you know, Led Zeppelin and their Hobbit songs. And we were, you know, like we were, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like we 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 needed something else. You know, listeners listeners needed something else. And and so you had this sort of like explosion. And I know I discovered music earlier than 1984, um, but. You know, or, or discovered sort of like a love for music pre nineteen eighty four, but nineteen eighty four is definitely like the year that sticks out as like sort of like a real formative formative moment for me and my as a as a as a music lover.
1: Yeah. So anyway. More than just you.
0: So so anyway, I'm like I'm like thrilled with this. I've i bought a bunch of music books um recently. Lisa Robinson's um they never they never talk about they never ask about the girls.
1: Have you read it yet? Because I know we talked about it on a past podcast. I so I've thought about it recently.
0: Started it and it's again really, really good. Um I haven't gotten all the way through it. I'm and and I also have been reading another book by Michelangelo. Matos called uh, The Underground is Massive, which is about um, electronic dance music. Uh, the subtitle is How Electronic Dance Music Conquered America. And that's actually research for a book that I'm writing. So I should be like, I should actually
1: oh, be cool. Yeah. That. And so I'm maybe right. that comes first.
0: Yeah. 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 But anyway, I, so I'm like, I think it's like kind of cool how I've also like found like these books of all, I, th- I can't remember. I think. I think the, the nineteen eighty four one is the more recent one of his books, and the Underground is massive is an older one because that I have that in paperback. Um, but the one from nineteen eighty the the nineteen eighty four book I actually have on my Kindle because I usually read nonfiction and uh, hard like some on paper. I don't like reading it on my Kindle, but I was huh. kind of really excited to see that. I wanted to read it right away and didn't want to wait for delivery. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I knew I wasn't, I wasn't using it for anything other than just, you know, pure pleasure. So I, I felt like I could, I could read that on my on, on the Kindle and be okay. But yeah, so um, I, I, two thumbs up. I, I actually recommend all three books, even though I haven't read through all of them, but I'm really enjoying them and learning a lot.
1: Yeah, I bet. Yeah, he's a great writer. Yeah very cool
0: so i'm sorry mariah carey moved us into oh
1: we're
0: yeah we're oh we're done with her i don't i
1: don't really have much more to say but to uh you know listeners i put out what is your favorite mariah carey song and do any of you have an answer that isn't the only one for christmas is you um and then beyond that what are they
0: Honestly, um, I can't even remember what song she had before, besides the Christmas songs at this point.
1: <laughs> I feel like her the ones that linger the most are her first, which was Vision of Love,
0: oh, Hero. Oh, that song.
1: Um, I like it. I like her f- songs from the first album probably the best. Um, and I think Always Be My Baby is a fun one from the mid-90s. Everything else um, kind of fades away. I mean, In ways that, like, some of the others, like, Janet and Whitney and Madonna did not.
0: I mean, she's got an absolutely beautiful voice. And it's, like, impressive, like, her octave and her range and all of that. But I don't like any of her music. <laughs> like, I just don't like any of her music.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, like, all of her albums were massive, but they're, like, hit and run. I mean... They sold what they sold, and no one really cottons to them after the fact. Yeah. Except for the Christmas song. Because we were ready, we were primed.
0: Because we haven't had one since Darling Love.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, maybe, maybe Michelangelo Matos can write about that eventually, too.
0: That would be great. I would totally read it.
1: He'd get down to it the science, the etymology of, of the whole thing. He would figure it out.
0: He would. Right. so
1: so there you go guys some holiday suggestions we've got cobra kai we've got ma Rainey, if you want to be more serious uh we've got some some book writing some music writing um
0: and then we've and got yeah. my books
1: oh yeah shameless
0: plug time shameless plug time so um Oh my god, you guys are like the first to know, the very first to know. So uh, yeah, December 30th, I'm going to be putting out my first box set of the Rockstar Romance series. That's Um,
1: really exciting.
0: So if you are on Kindle, you can grab all three books in one go. It's a discounted price in the box set. And the box set also features a special holiday short story. Oh, wow. Um, That you can't get anywhere but the box set. Unless you're on my email list, they will be getting that because I love them. And it also, also, (laughs) but wait, there's more. Um, It also features the first five chapters of my last book, uh, Songbird, Songbird. original first five chapters, which were deleted, which took place in New York that my editor said were terrible. And so I cut them. No, she didn't say they were terrible. She just said that she liked my books better in LA. And she thought that, um, and she thought that I should get rid of the, the New York setting. And she was absolutely right. Um, but I did share like part of the first chapter with my, um, my email list and, uh, and one of my, um, one of my subscribers responded back, and she said, I don't understand why she hated this. I actually love this, and I want to know what else is going to happen. Aww. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay. So anyway, that will be in the box. Editors universe. don't wow. always know best. Yeah. Well, no, I think that she did. Ultimately, I think that it made the story stronger. And it was one of those things where I, like, when I submitted it, I was like, I felt like the story was really meandering and weird, and I couldn't figure out how to fix it. And, um, and what needed to happen was I needed to dump those five chapters.
1: Gotcha. Well, they're there now for the taking.
0: Yeah, but they're there now. And so it might be kind of interesting to like read Songbird and then actually read the way Songbird was originally kind of, the first five chapters were originally written and see what was different because there were some character changes, um, uh, that, you know, characters that never made it into the book we're um, but we're just talked about uh, are actually now you you actually see them on the page and they're very different from what they ended up being in the book um, which is kind of fascinating but anyway that's coming out um, right in between uh, Christmas and New Year's as a kind of holiday post-Christmas pre-New Year's treat
1: that's right guys so um, you know don't let the gift shopping stop yet and don't no. forget to be good to yourself as well
0: you, if you have an Amazon gift card, a new Kindle you need to load up, you know.
1: And so that's El Greco.
0: That is El Greco, E-L-L-E, Greco. If you look for it on Amazon, it's me and the painter.
1: Um, and tell them Back on the Block sent you, or tell them Hollywood Boulevard sent you. There is yeah. no them. You don't really have to tell anyone that. No,
0: no, Amazon doesn't care. No. <laughs> Well, everyone, um, happy Christmas if you celebrate. Yeah, we wish you a warm
1: holiday. Um, and I think you'll have us around one more time in 2020. Uh, <laughs> which I guess will be a bittersweet uh, uh, kiss-off to... Uh, kiss-off in turd-tastic turd,
0: uh, year. Yes, a turd-tastic year we're going to kiss it off in style.
1: That's right. But in the meantime, you guys... A healthy, happy uh, end of December. And, um, you know, if you're thinking of ways to gift us, a five-star review on iTunes is just a suggestion. Just a Mm -hmm. humble suggestion. Or buying
0: my book. Or both. Or both. Or both.
1: Or both.
0: All right, y'all. See you next time.
1: Stay well. And we'll see you next time on the Boulevard. Bye.